Comics. Homeless Comics Podcast. Homeless Comics Podcast. I'm Joe Getcho. And I'm Mike White. And this is episode number 211 of the podcast, We Like Comics Because They Have No Bones. Yes, thanks everybody for joining. And if this is your first time listening, as the name suggests, we are a comic book podcast that celebrates all things DC, Marvel, Image, Dark Horse, IDW, and more. Each episode, we pick a comic book or comic-related show and movie and review it, taking you on an exciting adventure to learn more. This is also a clean show, so we'll generally be keeping it PG-13, although you should be warned that the content of the comic book we're reviewing today is not PG-13. It's a little more R. So, yeah, just maybe look behind Joe there, and you'll see. You can find us on social media at Boneless Comics Podcast on Instagram, Facebook, and TikTok, and at Boneless Comics 1 on Twitter. That's right. And also, don't forget to check out our YouTube channel at tinyurl.com slash podcast. That's where we keep our after shows, which you'll definitely want to tune into, especially for this one. But we continued the, the discussion from the episodes. You can find episodes of my Spidey Joe's one shots there where I give you like a 10 minute or less tour of some really interesting Spider-Man related storylines. And we also have bonus music, trailers and more all related to this podcast. Yeah. So thanks, everybody, for tuning in today. We're going to be covering Red Lantern's Blood Brothers, published by DC Comics in 2013, written by Charles Sewell and penciled by Alessandro Vitti. While we're focusing on this trade, some mention of Peter Milligan's run, specifically the character of Ratchet, who was introduced in that run, will be included in the discussion. Yeah, this is another one where we're taking kind of a run in the middle, and it's hard Mm -hmm. to not talk about things that came before or after, but it's not like it was with the last episode of Hawkman, where there was just so much like, you know, years and years and years and years and years and years and years of backstory. So this will be a maybe a little cleaner than that one. Yeah, this is a little more self-contained story than yeah. what we did last time. So. Uh, so Blood Brothers is a collection which includes issues number 21 through 26 of Red Lanterns, which covers the main story, and Green Lantern Annual number two, which is really more of like a Red Lantern, you know, they, they take a backseat to a larger overarching Lantern storyline. Mm-hmm. So I think we're going to save most of the discussion of what's in the annual for the after show when we talk about the larger storylines. Yeah, it has some impact on the Red Lantern book, but it's kind of minimal as far as the overall story that we're reading today. Yeah. So. so this was written by Charles Sewell, who is an American novelist, comic book writer, musician, and attorney based in New York City. So it's really no surprise that he's written for Daredevil and She-Hulk, who are also attorneys based in New York City. Right. Or is She-Hulk in New York City as well? Uh, yeah, everybody's in New York yeah, City in the much. Marvel Universe. So, uh, but Charles Sewell <laughs> is largely known for his various Star Wars runs, as well as some creator-owned oh. series. And he also wrote Death of Wolverine in 2014, which is largely famous, as well as some other single stories for various other characters. So another long list for this guy. But at this point in his career, when he was writing this, he was actually the writer for six different series at the same time. So obviously Red Lanterns, also including Swamp Thing, Superman, Wonder Woman from DC, Thunderbolts and She-Hulk from Marvel, and his own title called Letter 44, published by Oni Press, which is a sci-fi story involving a fictional 44th president of the United States. There's a lot of aliens and stuff involved in that. So a lot awesome. of 
Yeah, a lot of um, various different things that he was all working on at the same time. I don't know how he did it, but here we are. His works have received nominations. There's one for Best New Series Eisner Award, and then he won the 2015 Stanley Excelsior Award. Excelsior! Excelsior! (laughs) Excelsior! I did not know that he was a lawyer, but that makes a lot of sense given that he's written the two lawyer characters at Marvel, so... No, he's uh, uh, he's an attorney or a lawyer. Oh, yes. <laughs> the uh, regional difference in our pronunciation. Yes. Yeah. Let I, us know I'm, on social media. Is it I'm lawyer right. or is it lawyer? Lawyer or well, lawyer? Well, he practices law. He does, but he is a, a lawyer. Lawyer. Anyway, <laughs> we're never going to end this debate. No. And that's fine. The penciler is Alessandro Vitti. And he is an Italian penciler who lives in the northern city of Reggio Emilia. And again, I'm sorry if I'm mispronouncing anything here. He's been very active since 2001 and has worked with big name creators like Charles Sewell on Red Lanterns, obviously, Lee Bermejo on a book called Suiciders and Jonathan Hickman doing Secret Warriors at Marvel. Mm. He's also worked for many publishers internationally across France, Italy, the UK and the USA. At the big two, his other works include Batman Eternal with Scott Snyder, Secret Origins Swamp Thing, Captain America and Hawkeye, and Avengers Arena. And so if we're going to break down his art style a little bit here, it does have that gritty, bloody look. Really, if you're watching the video podcast, if you look behind Joe, that's pretty much what you're signing up for with Alessandro Vitti. Yep. This is their home planet. Yeah. That's, I think we decide is the planet Gizmalt. Gizmalt. Or, yeah. But uh, it's kind of what you would expect for a book like this because it's all about rage. However, I couldn't help thinking that the anchor kind of muddied up the pencils a little bit. There were a lot mm-hmm. of times where there was too much black, especially on like the facial expressions and yeah. blood and other particulate matter. I do think that that fits this book pretty well stylistically, but there was one panel, especially early on, where Atrocitus was holding like an alien parasite in mm. his hand. And there was so much blood and just stuff coming off of it that I couldn't even hardly tell what was going on. So, yeah, it was like a listening device or something. But yeah, it had these like tentacle things and it mm-hmm. was weird green. And yeah, it was hard to make out. Yeah. So anyway. There is something to be said for like a cleaner rendering of figures. And so there were a few fill in artists on some of the issues. And I actually like them a little bit more, especially Jay Calafior, who worked on Aquaman in the 90s. So I was familiar with hmm. his work. Okay. Yeah, the the faces definitely like was the, the big takeaway from this. The, the rest of the art style I liked and the way that it, you know, just it, it was kind of a gritty, I guess, for the Red Lantern gritty. But the, the distortions in the faces was definitely weird. And I think it mm-hmm. made them look more sinister than they necessarily were. Yeah. And then some of the heroes, they, it, it was that style where they didn't necessarily look muscular as much as they just looked thick, like with two C's <laughs> or three C's. Like, yeah, they yeah, just looked yeah. really big and full, but they weren't necessarily muscular. They were like super mm-hmm. stocky. Mm-hmm. Um, but I did like the atrocitous font that, uh, they use. And I don't know if he came up with this or if this was a different uh, penciler or who came up with that, because I know I've read it. I've seen it before, but that's Atrocitus... probably the the letterer that would have. done yeah, that. True. I would assume. I don't know if they were still doing hand lettering at this point, 
not everyone does but mm. some some people still do but yeah that was probably their choice i would assume i enjoyed that part because atrocitus like he would speak very differently than everybody else being like you know he looks like a giant monster so yeah yeah i mean that's basically what he is <laughs> so uh the red lanterns were created by jeff johns and ethan van skyver I was corrected by Ethan Van Skyver at a convention because I said Cyver and did not pronounce the C. So that was an awkward interaction that I had with him. Wow. But they, they first appeared in Green Lantern Volume 4, number 25 in 2008. Most all of their continuity was carried over when DC rebooted in 2011 with New 52. And their first solo title was part of the first wave of New 52 books. And it was also one of the longest running titles from that starting lineup outside of the big six, which would be Superman, Batman, Wonder Woman, Flash, Green Lantern, and Aquaman. So this series follows the Red Lantern Corps, a group of aliens and humans who police the galaxy by harnessing the red light of rage with their rings, giving them varying abilities. <laughs> and they're, they're actually attracted to rage in the heart of victims, and they often seek bloody revenge on those who oppress, abuse, and murder innocents throughout the galaxy. So there are other Lantern Corps throughout the galaxy, and they each harness a different emotion from the EEG, or the Emotional Electromagnetic Spectrum. The most well-known of those is the Green Lantern Corps, and they harness the green light of courage and willpower. But for this story, we're going to focus on the Red Lanterns, and they harness rage and hate. So That they do. And so most Lantern Corps have some sort of like thing that they do especially well, or they're able to use the emotional power to create these constructs. Basically, they can project like physical objects from their minds made of light. But the Red Lanterns are an exception because they don't really have constructs. They don't really have like super like different kinds of powers like the other Lanterns do. Their thing is that basically they can spew blood and go on an angry rampage. Yeah. (laughs) But also, and we can get into this more in the after show, but also it it changes their physiology as well when they wear the red Mm -hmm. ring. But so among the members of the Red Lantern Corps, there's a human named Rancor, who we'll talk about later, who actually does have the ability to create constructs and apparently change the way he looks by projecting an image, which sounded more like a plot device than a power. But they well, are it's, unique. It's, I, I will say that I reread the 20 issues prior to this before, and it is something that he uses okay. previously. He has kind of an arc where that Peter Milligan wrote about where he was trying to go back to Earth and figure out a way to have a normal life but Mm. it just didn't work even though he could hide himself for a short time using the ring it would always wear off eventually and yeah people would be like oh you're a monster so that's the important distinction is they can't take their rings off if they do they die so that's not like the green lantern where they can just take their ring off and you know either lose their power or you know go incognito or something if you're a red lantern you're you're switched on all the time yep There are some other differences like their lantern oath, which each lantern core has one. Mm -hmm. Their their different lanterns have charge levels that are affected by proximity to certain other lanterns, but we're going to save that in-depth discussion of lanterns, characters, and more for our after show. So don't forget to stop by YouTube after you've finished listening to this episode. But not now, because we're still going. (laughs) (laughs) I'm really angry doing this because we're talking about the angry red lantern core. No, I'm angry too. Yeah, there you go. 
tomorrow's monday so i'm That's really right. angry. yeah that makes me angry <laughs> anyway in our story for this episode the red lanterns have grown tired of fighting as loose allies to help against giant threats that affect the entire galaxy and decide they want to fight for their right of a higher status than being looked at as simple hired thugs and then at the same time, we have a Green Lantern by the name of Guy Gardner, who was always kind of a loose cannon hothead anyway. And he's sent to infiltrate the Red Lantern Corps on behalf of the Green Lanterns to gather intelligence on their activities. But the leader of the Red Lanterns, Atrocitus, who we mentioned earlier, sees through this transparent plan and won't let him join. So Guy gets angry and then he gets super angry. And then he's like super Saiyan angry and he ends up <laughs> beating up Atrocitus, stealing his ring, and in another you-keep-what-you-kill moment, like we had in the last episode, he becomes leader of the Red Lanterns. So this is a big story point that happens here, and it's a big shift for the Red Lantern core. Mm -hmm. But as many of these stories often go, Guy actually develops a soft spot for their cause, and he strikes a deal to help the Green Lanterns defeat one last enemy, as hired thugs, basically, but they all have to come together because this threat affects all of them, which the other ones did too. But there, there's a lot of galactic threats when it comes to lanterns. Mm -hmm. But anyway, once they're done with this, the Green Lanterns will give the Red Lanterns their own sector in space to police. And not just any sector, but Sector 2814, which includes a planet you might have heard of called Earth. Yeah. Which is <laughs> where we live, you know? So, okay. I guess dire circumstances called for drastic action and the Green Lanterns handed over Earth to the Red Lanterns for their help. So mm -hmm. that's uh, in, our, in a nutshell, our story today. So as they complete missions, the group, they develop a camaraderie. So they're not just a core, but they actually have, you know, this inner thing going on with each other about, you know, it's not just about power and conquest, but they actually kind of relax a little bit, which is pretty cool. But unfortunately, there's one member at the end who does not survive. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so I there, there are many, many story points I want to talk about here. First of all, I guess we should go through the main cast a little bit because mm -hmm. you, you've basically got Guy Gardner, who is the, effectively the leader even though he says he doesn't want to be the leader for most of this story. And he always was kind of a hothead as a Green Lantern. And so there was a story prior to this where he had become a Red at mm. some point. And I have not read that. I would assume it was during the Jeff Johns run, but it was prior to this continuity. So I'm, I'm just not, I haven't gone back that far. But it, he fits in very well with this group. And uh, then you, you basically have Blee's, who's the only female member of the group. And she's a blue alien from the planet Havania. <laughs> and she has, yeah, her wings were ripped out of her. Uh, and so she has like bone wings that, that she flies around with. And, and she was abused by the Sinestro Corps. That's kind of her backstory. We have Zelias Zox, who is a basically a giant meatball with arms and legs. Uh, <laughs> we don't really know a lot about his backstory, except that he was some kind of engineer. Mm -hmm. There's Ratchet, who is kind of like a brain with a whole bunch of tentacles on him. That's what he looks like. And then Skalix, who uh, he, I guess, has kind of like a horse face almost. But he's a he's an alien that was part of like a crime syndicate and his boss falsely accused him of betraying him and then you know that that ended up badly but all of them the important thing to understand is all of these characters 
have a backstory that was established prior in this run and all of them have a component of like terrible trauma or abuse or something that drove them to this moment of rage where the red lantern ring found them and then it was like you have great rage in your heart and it chose them and they became a member of the core so that's this is like a fundamentally kind of broken group of characters that are just completely consumed by anger and when guy gardner comes in he's really the person that's like the way your old leader atrocitus has been running things is stupid and we should change this up we need to get you guys to relax a little bit and uh it was really a big status quo shift for the book because up until this point they've been going out just brutally murdering people in the universe that have been you know to protect those that have been abused and guy kind of focuses them in a different direction so yeah yeah. Their their leader is is really important because mm-hmm. Atrocitus he started the Red Lantern Corps, but he had a lot of really harsh rules. Like he ran a dictatorship, and he let some of them sort of be mindless, so that way they couldn't talk back to him. Mm-hmm. You know, he he was more of like, okay, this is what we're gonna do. Whatever my personal vendetta is, whatever my thought is, we're gonna do this. You guys are gonna go here, and we're gonna do that thing. And so they they didn't even like on their home planet they don't have any structures there's no beds there's nowhere like for recreation it's pretty much harsh conditions all the time but that's really because of atrocitus and his leadership style Mm -hmm. so the red lanterns like if you look at them on the surface just seem like oh it's red it's anger they're just a bunch of berserkers who go around mindlessly killing people and when a red lantern first gets a ring that's kind of what they're like but they have this, uh, oh, it's over on this side. Sorry, it's not mirroring my video. But uh, this <laughs> lake of blood here over my shoulder here. And basically, oh, yeah. it's got, yeah, yeah. Whoops, wrong side again. <laughs> there. <you go>. Yeah. <laughs> That's not working out for me very well. But anyway, so it's mixed with magic. And so we'll get into the backstory later. But basically, there's it, there's blood magic mixed in with this lantern power. And so that lake can actually turn one of the like furious berserkers with no mind into somebody who's able to think for themselves and so when they do this this is especially where when guy takes over it's a big leadership shift is they go from rather than just atrocitous personal vendettas to guy saying what do you guys want to do do you want to like go sit somewhere comfortable i mean do you want to go sleep in an actual bed like (laughs) all these kinds of things that they hadn't really thought of before because atrocitous was so you know with an iron fist with them But their thing is really not Mm. just being angry and killing people. It's that sort of anti-hero thing where basically you have the, it's sort of like the Punisher, like especially with the Netflix shows, which are now on Disney, but basically he's not afraid. He's not afraid to take out a whole room of mob people and mob bosses and hired Mm. guns and whatever he'll just shred them and not think twice about it he did the right thing he ridded the world of evil and great let's do more of this whereas like when the when they had the crossover with daredevil again talking about netflix because i watched it recently that's why um but daredevil is like i don't i have this no kill rule and so no matter how bad somebody is i'm going to let the system handle them and i'm not going to kill them that's Mm -hmm. sort of like the green lanterns and red lanterns where the green lanterns are the good cops and they're like look you know law and order we're going to control this we're going to send people to jail we're going to construct a giant facility to keep you know people in prison who have done wrong and the red lanterns are like well or we could just find these people who've done wrong and we can just 
kill them because you know that's a lot easier and yeah it feels better too and i'm angry and let's direct it so that it's all directed at people who have been abusers who are doing trafficking who are thugs and gangsters they're not just going killing civilians or civilian ships willy-nilly yeah. so that that's really important to know with this is it's not just a bunch of mindless rage characters but they actually do have sort of a an unwritten sort of mission that they're fueled by with all of this rage and it's mm -hmm. It's directed by their leader. Well, and and even under Atrocitus, it's important to note that they, they can all detect rage in the universe, especially if it's really strong. And so that's something that kind of tethers them or pulls them to certain areas uh, because they're attracted to it. And then they can go avenge the person for, you know, whatever has happened to them. And even early on in the series, Atrocitus is a villain and he is clearly evil. Yeah. I mean, he's a dictator. He kills his followers and sacrifices them using blood magic in order to do prophecies and see the future. I mean, he, he does a lot of really dark things, but he does have a code as well, where it is all in service of that mission where he's seeking out people with pure rage and seeking to avenge them. So even under Atrocitus, they were directed a little bit. It's just that it was a dictatorship and he didn't care about collateral damage as much. Right. Whereas Guy Gardner, being a human and also being somebody that has been a Green Lantern before, he is a little more measured in his approach and he leads more by committee, which mm -hmm. is good because uh, Blee's in particular, she is very treacherous and just like ready to take over at a moment's notice. So uh, in, in fact, a lot of the previous story arcs had been about Blee's trying to wrest control of the core from Atrocitus because mm. she thought she should be running things. So that kind of goes away once he's able to settle them all into like, hey, what do you guys actually want to do with this power? So I think that was a really cool way to shift the focus of the book. And it gives you a better lens into who these specific characters are because Really, during the previous run, all you see is their rage, their backstory, the things that created them and made them who they are. And then there's a lot of infighting, and eventually they have to help the Green Lanterns. Okay, fine. But Guy is able to get more at who they are as people, even though they're, you know, might be an alien brain monster, you know, <laughs> or something, or, or somebody with a horse for a face. And, uh, you know, but he's, he still kind of gets at like what they want to do. And I think that was a really good shift for this book because after the first three trades, having just reread those issues, it was kind of like, where do they go from here? Because they've kind of explored Atrocitus as much as they possibly can. So, mm -hmm. yeah, I, I think there was some controversy around that, right? Like some people didn't like guy taking over. I mean, that you could say that, I guess, about any shift that happens in any book, like you always have the people that come out and say that they don't like that it happened or anything like that. But, you know, from, from just a story point, like you said, it, it just seemed like it was time to shake things up with them. Atrocitus was very evil. And even though they were still sort of targeting on the sort of non-evil side of going after more like vengeance than right. just regular murder, like you mentioned, the collateral damage. And he wasn't afraid to you know, even his own core members, like if it served the greater purpose, mm -hmm. then they were all pretty much expendable. So uh, Rancor, like we talked about earlier with his constructs, there's one point where Atrocitus says, hey, you know what, that power you have is going to be really helpful to us in our cause. So we're going to kill you and drink your blood and absorb that power. So here right. we go, let's do it. <laughs> it, it. You know, there was no vote or question or decision. And they 
he actually managed to hold his own somehow, which was really interesting. I guess the constructs really were that powerful. Yeah. But basically Atrocitus called it and he said, fine, you know what? You're selfish. Keep your power, whatever. We'll, we'll do something else. And he moved on. So it was yeah. interesting that he didn't necessarily hold that as to, you know what, this is what we are going to do and it's going to happen and you need to give up and fight to the last. He called at one point and was like, you know what? Fine, let's move on because we're not getting closer to our cause. So he's really dedicated to, mm -hmm. you know, the overarching, whatever he thinks is their mission. Right. Basically. Yeah. Yeah. Whereas where guy leads by committee a lot more, which it, it's, it's not exactly democratic, but it's more like they just kind of discuss like, well, what do you guys think we should be? Where should we direct our rage at? Yeah. And so the interesting thing, I think where the controversy comes from maybe is Guy's fight with Atrocitus and the idea that Guy could build his anger to a level that would surpass mm. Atrocitus because Atrocitus's backstory is brutal. <laughs> it's yeah. horrible. And like his entire race was wiped out. His wife and child was wiped out. His planet was wiped out by the Manhunters, who were kind of the precursor to the Green Lanterns. So he has a big beef with the Green Lantern Corps, their leaders, all of that. And uh, he's been nursing this rage for like thousands of years and even made a pact with demons in order to like create the Red Lantern yeah. Corps and all that. So, however, I think Charles Sewell does something really brilliant during the fight between Guy and Atrocitus where you're seeing into Guy's thoughts and you're seeing how he's building the anger inside of himself. And he just keeps mentioning like all the things that make him angry, like all the little selfish acts that people do in the world. And, and all the times the little guy gets stepped on and, and the fact that he washed out of the police Academy and he was never good enough. And now he's washed out of the green lanterns and he was never good enough. And all of that was such good character stuff that when he beat Atrocitus, I felt like it was justified you know, mm -hmm. especially because like, you know, guy came in and he's like, Hey, once a red, always a red, take me back. And Atrocitus is like, <laughs> Oh yeah, sure. Okay. I see right, right. through you. <laughs> so, you know, that was handled really well leading up to that as well. And mm -hmm. I think guy knew that because he was already having that uh, inner dialogue, but I, I don't know if there's ever a storyline where they touch on this or not, but I'm, I'm guessing there's something about humans that makes us I said that really weird us I'm included anyway, <laughs> something about humans that makes us more in tune with the emotional spectrum to where we're able to channel it a lot easier and almost more powerfully than a lot of the alien counterparts. And obviously, you know, the comic books written by humans, we live in a human world. So that's why, <laughs> but for the context of the story, you know, that that's what humans bring to the table. And so that's why you have mm -hmm. like Hal Jordan, Kyle Rayner, um, those guys, John Stewart leading the pack basically for the Green Lanterns is they're so powerful and they're so strong and so strong willed. I think that and, you know, Carol Ferris joining the Star Sapphires and like all the stuff that happens, I think humans are so in tune with emotions or we just experience them so inten intensely that we're able to channel the emotions more. And so that's why you have uh, in the books, like humans taking prominent positions, you know, again, story reason yeah. why. So if you go with that logic, then you could say, okay, Guy was able to channel rage because he's, he has seen a lot of things that would, you know, make somebody 
full of rage <laughs> and right. he's recounting them he's reliving him he's forcing himself to go through this again as if he was there in his mm -hmm. mind while he's you know with atrocitus and i i think he's been holding this up for so long trying to be you know the good cop trying to be on the green lantern side like don't let it out you know kind of suppress that a little bit and this gives him a chance to just unleash all of that so it may not be thousands of years but i think something about being human and all the crap that he's seen and just his his personality just allowed him to surge that much power in a short amount of time to yeah. be able to take down atrocities now is that something that he could do repeatedly over and over could he take out Blees if she did decide she wanted to challenge him <laughs> Maybe, maybe not. Maybe, you know, you got to draw a line at some point. But I yeah. think if you just look at this one event in time and say, you know what, guy just he came in, he knew what he was going to do. He was seeing red. Atrocitus was angry, but he was more angry because he's like, ha, you're trying to trick me. So I'm overconfident because I know you're trying to trick me. Yeah, so now I'm going to take you out. And that's when guy swooped in and hit him, you know, kind of like when he was weak. So yeah. I, I think you mm -hmm. could make a strong argument that that it it was justified. Basically. Yeah, I, I definitely think like I just bought it. I buy it from a character standpoint. And that to me is more important than buying it from like a who's physically stronger standpoint. You know, like sure. all those polls you see on the Internet of people doing like who would win in a fight? And it's like, well, you know, what are the circumstances of the fight? What's actually going on Why emotionally with the two people? Why, Why are they? they fighting? Yeah, all of that. All of that stuff matters. And so this story sells that really well. To where i'm just like yeah okay like guy just trounced him mm -hmm. and uh he he does escape because his cat dexstar actually gets a little bite out of rancor and so is able to make constructs as well and so dexstar pulls atrocitus behind in like a bubble out in space so he's not dead but he doesn't have his red lantern ring in fact guy actually rips it off of his hand and is mm -hmm. wearing uh, atrocitus's ring so yeah so while all this is going down with the red lanterns and guy leading them and doing all this stuff atrocitus and dexter are off sort of doing their own thing and that to me felt like the not very well justified sort of b plot that they threw in to have some motion sort of behind the scenes because basically each each lantern color that's re represented by a different color, the emotional spectrum has an avatar. And so the mm -hmm. avatar for the red lanterns, the rage power is called the butcher, which is this, you know, giant <laughs> evil looking red creature, which of course, so he's like a but, red bull. Kinda. Yeah. Something like yeah. that. So atrocitus and Dexar are looking for a red ring so that they can give atrocitus power back so he can go challenge guy again and take his throne back and so they stumble upon the the butcher who's being imprisoned they rescue him and then atrocitus absorbs his power and becomes the atrocity butcher which mm, not the best <laughs> name but okay sure and then short you know we we zip back to our main plot of what's going on and then suddenly we're back to atrocitus and kyle rayner emerges and this is a whole gigantic plot that's going on in the green lantern core but basically he's he's pulling in all of the avatars from all of the different lantern cores to have them help fight this you know intergalactic threat and so the butcher leaves atrocitus and goes with kyle and kyle's like hey you know sorry but the fate of the universe is at stake so gotta do it <laughs> of course atrocitus doesn't care and he's angry because he's just angry with or without a ring yeah and he holds a grudge but it was just weird that like 
Atrocitus is sort of floating out in limbo. He finds the butcher somehow and he absorbs it and then it's stolen away from him later. And then now we're sort of back to where we started. Like his, I, I kind of wish that they had just left him for dead for this story and then maybe picked him up again later rather yeah, than try to sprinkle it in. What was going on with Atrocitus felt very indicative of like the hand of editorial kind of, mm. because it felt like this is just happening out here not related to our main story and yeah he's gonna come back and we're gonna have to fight him later but at the same time it's like it wasn't super relevant to this story and it really felt like they were doing it just to tie into whatever the other green lantern titles were doing so yeah i wasn't as much a fan of that section either mainly because he's just not as interesting of a character it it was cool to see you know guy gardner on yismal with Blees and Zox and Ratchet and and all those guys and sort of going like, okay, well, I don't want us to exactly be villains. We're going to move more into that kind of vigilante anti-hero, you know, sort of mentality. And he's basically like, what do you guys want to do? I mean, that's that's where the book starts mm -hmm. off. And so they they end up what going and stealing a spaceship from somebody that's kind of a known I was going to say human trafficker, but nobody's human out there. So alien trafficker. Yeah. Kind of like a pirate and, and trafficker of beings and stuff like that. They steal a spaceship from him. And then you learn that, oh, Zox likes engineering. He wants to fix up the ship. And, you know, I, I think Ratchet and Blees have different things that they want to do, too. So that's that was interesting. And it was a cool way to get a peek into their characters. Yeah, the first half of this is really a lot of that character development and mm -hmm. a lot of dialogue between the characters of like, okay, so, you know, you think for yourself, like, well, what do you want? Do you want to sleep in a bed? Yeah, I want to sleep in a bed. <laughs> oh, but we have to get materials and we have to build and we do, you, you know, blah, blah, blah. And guys like, well, I do know an architect, but uh, John Stewart. So, <laughs> but why build something when you can just steal it? So they go find the meanest, nastiest guy that they can nearby, which is that pirate for alien trafficking. It's like, nobody's going to mm -hmm. miss him. And so they steal his ship because, you know, they're going to use it for better purposes. They basically just land it on their planet and use it to sleep. And there's weapons on board, which the rings are weapons, but you know, it's, it's something to to do like sort of like a hobby like you know yeah. they don't necessarily need the weapons but it might be fun and it's like you have Zox doing the engineering thing like the yeah, Galax is just like I like guns or something yeah like that. it's just He's like something I just that like he guns. likes yeah and and so it gives them something to do even though with their rings that's their weapons and they can travel off world they can fly through space with their rings they don't even need a ship but it was more just about having something of their own and building that community, but also not having to, you know, take all the time to build something, just steal it from a, you know, alien trafficker or whatever. But this is where Guy like starts to make his own shift because he finds this guy and he's basically decimated all of these. Is it Ratchet's race or a different? There, there was a race where in the cargo hold they had like they tore their limbs off and had just the. I, I don't think it was anybody's race that we know. Okay. So it was something that Guy had recognized because basically they or somebody had told him like they ground up their corpses into yeah. some sort of drug. And so that's when Guy just like loses it and he punches him out of the ship, like in space, just spaces mm -hmm. him by hitting him so hard that he, you know, gets blasted out of the ship. And so this is where Guy starts to make his own shift of he's really getting into this anger thing and he's really liking it because 
you know, we're not going to send this guy to jail. We're not going to, you know, have to have all these uh, attorney stuff going on and practicing law as a lawyer, but, you know, we're just going to go straight <laughs> to the execution. And he likes that power. It works for him mm -hmm. because he's pointed it at somebody who he believes deserves it. We've got less than a minute. So, you know. All right. Well, let's take a short break before we continue that thought. We'll be right back with you. Thanks. What? Why are we waiting outside like common lot food vendors instead of scorching them to cinders? Because I would have them relax their guard until Dexter lets us inside. Then we will take our rings and destroy any who stand in our way. Your deviousness inspires me once more, Master. I never had a doubt, unlike these two fools. <laughs> Hey, everybody, welcome back. So just kind of riffing on what you said earlier, it is really a natural evolution for Guy's character to finally be able to give in to that anger that he has, because that's really what holds him back in the Green Lantern Corps from being considered one of the greats. There's a whole segment of the fan base that really doesn't like Guy Gardner that much. He tends to be one of the less popular Green Lanterns, even though he's been around since like 1968 or whatever. But he he just fits on the Red Lantern Corps. And honestly, if I have one complaint about him being on the Corps, it's that they revert him back to a green too soon in the comics after this. Yeah. That's not really a fair criticism of this story, but this feels like the best place for him. It feels like the Red Lantern Corps fits his personality. It feels like he can he can unleash his brand of justice in the universe and he doesn't have to keep all of his you know, issues bottled up, he can actually let it out. So now whether or not that's a really healthy way to deal with your problems going around murdering criminals, I don't know, but not for us to decide. We're here to just talk about the comics. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So it, it's really interesting because guy, you know, we talked about guys leadership style and there's one line that he has that I really liked where he's, you know, they're basically flying by the seat of their pants in whatever, you know, situation mm -hmm. that they're in. And guys like, oh, we need to do ABC, whatever it is. And they're like, well, that doesn't really sound like a plan. And guys response is, I like goals more than I like plans. And I thought that's really good because you see a lot of like media where you have the hero and they're just making it up as they go, which happens in real life a lot as well. Mm -hmm. But it, it's more about making small goals and getting there. And that's your plan rather than having some like big old tactical, like, okay, you're going to go here and then you're going to bob and weave over there and I'm going to roll that way. And then we're going to all come together, you know, like a tactical plan. Mm -hmm. You can still have a tactical plan, but just get there in like little steps. And that was one thing I really liked about guys leadership was it was like one step at a time. You know, we go here and mm -hmm. we go here and we take it as we go rather than having some big mission like Atrocitus had, which with Atrocitus, I felt like his backstory was so rich and had all of these terrible things in it. But mm -hmm. then when he became leader of the Red Lanterns, it's like, what do you really do with him at this point? Because yeah, you, you can't let him rule the universe. You can't let him destroy the Green Lanterns. You can't let him do this. You can't let him do that. So you end up having to keep him in a little bottle so he can't do anything. Whereas when you put guy in charge, now it's like, we can take this in a whole new direction. We can sort of deviate from 
the the main atrocitus story and now we have things like we steal a ship and we get back at some pirates and we get back at some tyrants and we go free an enslaved world and now that they have their own sector it's like they have all these possibilities and they become a lot more three-dimensional whereas i feel like with atrocitus it was very sort of two-dimensional it's mm -hmm. like we're the villains we're the bad guys we'll kill you all that's your fate end of story and then that's the end of it yeah i mean and and he it's it's interesting because towards the beginning of Peter Milligan's run that precedes this, there are moments where I start to feel for Atrocitus and I'm like, wow, he has been through some stuff. Yeah. And then they get to how he actually forged the original rings <laughs> and the battery and all that. And, you know, he actually seduces this space demon. They're called like the five inversions and in order to use her power and all of that. And that's when I'm like, no, you've no. <laughs> gone way off the deep end. Like you are way far gone. So he does get philosophical in the first several issues. And I think Milligan made an attempt to flesh him out a little bit where he's kind of questioning, well, what's the purest rage? Is it the rage of the person abusing or the rage of the victim? And he's kind of trying to figure out, well, who do I avenge and, and all that kind of mm -hmm. stuff. So there is a little bit of internal conflict with him but it's not particularly interesting because ultimately it's just him trying to justify who it's going to be okay to kill. So, it, you know, I, and I guess that's why he had written a lot of internal conflict into the core, but one change that I did notice after rereading the early issues before this trade was that the red lanterns as a group seem a lot more heartless under atrocitus mm -hmm. and do you think that they should be able to experience the full range of emotions once they've got a red ring on? Because Rancor seems like he softens up a little bit once Guy comes around. So does Bleeze. So does Zox. And, you know, they, they all kind of start to show other sides of themselves where they're like, well, I'm not just rage all the time. Do you think that makes sense? Or... I yeah, think I it's know. a, it's a, like I, I was saying before, like a more three-dimensional, it's, mm -hmm. it's a way to take them that gives you more options because if they're right. just the rage pirates of the galaxy, there's no reason for them to really have a book. They're more of a story plot device at that point where, you know, the green lanterns need to go have something to do while they're waiting for the intergalactic threat. So they go beat up some red lanterns who are causing mayhem and subdue right. them. And they, they just become the, the, blank villains it's like oh the mob's attacking again oh the mob's extorting money it's like the mob this the mob that the red lanterns this or that but i really felt like with with the issues that you know we read here and even before and after that they really started to make them into something that was their own like they were their own core they had their own goals good or bad and they were three-dimensional characters that had wants and desires they had character arcs they had directions that they wanted to go and they were more than just villains or thugs but they were actual characters that you cared about and then after yeah. you know it started getting really good that's sort of when they just canceled the book and we have no more red lantern yeah. issues to read yeah so, yeah that charles, was the truly villainous act charles sewell does write the next two trades and unfortunately the final one suffers from being forced to tie into a huge event that they were doing where the, the lantern cores were fighting the new gods basically and uh that's a shame because charles sewell really seemed to have a good grasp on these characters and he really seemed like he had plans for 
developing them in the future. And there's even some new members that show up later, like uh, Shiko shows up in the next trade and she's a judge. And so she can actually, or, or like somebody in the legal system from her planet, which again, knowing what we know about the author now. Practicing that makes law. Sense. Yeah. Not lawyer. So, <laughs> but uh, she has the ability to actually look into somebody's heart and see if their rage is motivated by like true justice or, or evil or whatever. And so she at, at one point gets caught, like pulled into a fight between Atrocitus and Guy and she determines that neither of them are right. And then she just like leaves them. And, and so she goes off like into the universe on her own. And she's kind of just judging people, you know, based on what she can see in their hearts. And it's almost like Ghostwriter's penance stare at Marvel where she can like see into their souls and see what's really going on. So she's a really cool character that unfortunately is not in this trade. But if you keep reading, he introduced, but that actually brings me to something else that I wanted to talk about a little bit, because one of the cool things about the Red Lanterns is not all of them have the same abilities. Like Rancor can make constructs. Atrocitus can basically do prophecies and look into the future. They all do spit sort of like a blood vomit thing that's like red hot that they can damage opponents with. But other than that, they their shared abilities seem to just be that they can fly in space and survive and they have like super strength or something like that and super durability. Otherwise they just, you know, they kind of go nuts and tear stuff apart, but it was cool to me to see the differences between some of the characters. There's another one that died the issue before this trade named Scorch that had like some kind of acid touch where she could just touch people and burn them. Wow. And uh, I, I don't know. I think that's something that makes the Red Lanterns unique, where it's almost like the ring can fuse with something in their anatomy to give them different abilities, depending on who they are. So that's what's neat about the Green Lantern Corps is like the constructs that they make are mm -hmm. all sort of based like you have John Stewart, the architect who makes things that are very physically intricate because mm -hmm. his mind is able to visualize those things. And so he's able to reproduce them with the light constructs and actually make something that has a lot of moving parts. Whereas right. you have Kyle Rayner, who's more of an artist. And so mm -hmm. a lot of his stuff looks not necessarily cartoony, but more like something that you would draw. Mm -hmm. And then Hal Jordan, I don't know, he's just sort of more in the middle. His is more like not military, like hardcore military, but just more like guns and airplanes and yeah. things like that. Where he'll like yeah he was he it. was a pilot so that that kind of stuff all kind of fits in with him but yeah. yeah it's it's cool to see the differences in the different lanterns and rancor is one of the most interesting for sure he's he is british i believe from reading his really? backstory he was john moore hmm. and uh his grandfather was murdered in london and he he didn't do anything about it and a lot of his rage comes from his own self-loathing which is kind of interesting. So he's different in that it's it's almost like directed at himself, not somebody else. So that's that's kind of an interesting story point that they again they don't really address in this story. But it is cool to have two humans on the team now because now Guy and John can both talk about Earth and be like, oh yeah, I remember football and you know all these <laughs> all these other things that we had back there. So yeah, 
Yeah, it's really like you were saying, and, and, and like I was saying with the Green Lanterns, it, it was really neat to see them sort of develop their own personalities and then also almost their own powers where they're sort of a collection of people that have this shared rage power, but they also have their own specialties. And that's what really mm -hmm. rounded them out that I thought made them really cool into characters that you would care about versus ones that, you know, again, are just villains or, or thugs. Like, so we talked about Ratchet a little bit, the brain with the tentacles, Yeah, um, which I don't know, does he communicate telepathically or does he actually talk? Do we ever get that I sense? believe he communicates telepathically. That's my understanding. Okay. His backstory is basically that there was some kind of plague or something going on with their planet where, which this is, you know, a little too relevant right now, but they, they had all of their members of their race isolate in these different space pods where they're completely by themselves and they don't have interactions with others. And he was considered a deviant because he wanted to make connections with other beings and he wanted to go out into the universe and find other people. And he actually found somebody of his race that thought like him and was like, Oh yeah, let's develop a friendship. And then they, they met in person, which is a big taboo in their culture. And so, so what happened was his, his race, which uh, forgive me, I don't remember the name of it. They came and they like amputated his tentacles, which are what he's able to actually physically connect with another being with and strapped him to this thing and basically just forced him to be alone after that and he was he was in prison essentially you know at that point and that's when his rage took over it took like years of him enduring this torture for him to come to the point where he became a red lantern but uh you know the interesting thing is that what created him was not being able to have connection with others and not being able to form friendships with others and when guy takes over the core they do become friends i mean the group gets drunk together at one point and like like they're all just getting smashed and they're laughing and joking and it's like they're they're having a good time and they've really developed this close camaraderie over you know just going out into the universe and sort of their shared experience of being red lanterns and it's at that point that ratchet's character starts to take a turn yeah, he it's funny because like it, it has an unattended side effect where mm -hmm. you've got guy who's focusing the rage of the Red Lanterns, which is great. But then Ratchet starts to feel that camaraderie and community with everybody. And there's one part where the ring actually starts to like lift off of him a little bit. And he's like, no, not yet. Not yet. He's right. losing his rage because that's what made him in the first place was being isolated and apart. And now that he's starting to feel like he's in a group, he's losing the, the mm -hmm. rage. And if you lose your rage and your ring comes off, that's it. You're dead because the ring can't come off. Like it, it actually changes their blood and doesn't it like replace I their think heart? It, yeah. Something? It like, it, it like explodes their heart or something like that whenever mm -hmm. it goes on. So, so they're, they're, they're almost undead in a way. I mean, they're the ring is what's keeping them alive. Yeah. And if know, they take it off, point. then that's the end. So right. that's where we have the last sort of half of the story mm -hmm. wraps up Ratchet, where he is basically like he knows that, you know, his time is coming, but he mm -hmm. also wants to help with the team and sort of go out with the bang, I guess. So he tells them about this tyrant on this world that's basically, you know, enslaving people and 
you know, doing all sorts of horrible things that I guess were part of his past as well. And so they're like, yeah, let's go get him. And so this is where they sort of come up with a plan or a bunch of small goals to <laughs> basically use Rancor's ability to shapeshift and shapeshift as the pirate that they killed, who is best friends with this tyrant guy. So they right. go in to storm the castle from the inside because there's only a couple of them, whereas, you know, this guy's got armies. But he sees them coming. The pirate guy survived somehow. Yeah, I was confused by that. Yeah, the, I, the way the panels were laid out, I was confused as to who was who and what was happening. But mm-hmm. then after they were exposed, there was some dialogue that helped cleared it up. So it was definitely like I sort of tripped a little bit, but then yeah. it made sense afterwards. Mm-hmm. But basically, they saw them coming. They staged a trap. They used this weird pacify beam that makes them all like, just, oh, no, everything's fine. Oh, you're going to kill him. Okay, great. Yeah. No problem. <laughs> and I felt like their rings should have just lifted off right there. But they said that basically they were still furious inside. They just couldn't act on it outside. So I guess that was the way of keeping their rings intact or their I, power. To me, especially the way those characters had acted previously in this story um i would have rather seen their rings just overcome that beam and then just rip out of it because yeah. that that really seems like the red lanterns thing is that they're just so angry they can push through almost anything so i wasn't a fan of that plot device but fortunately it didn't last too long it was kind of like right. a one and done and then you know, i just wondered if on. it was going to be more because it seemed like the shift that they were having was that they were less focused on their rage and anger and even when they used it it was more just something that they used occasionally but you know 90 percent of the time they were having a good time and laughing and drinking and talking right so it, it almost seemed like you know how how much do you really have to be into this anger and rage to be a red lantern versus harnessing it as a weapon when you so choose so right. they, I guess you don't necessarily have to be angry all the time. But as we saw from Ratchet, you know, that really took care of the rage in, in his heart and he mm-hmm. was actually starting to lose it. So that I think that was something that either you would have to just handle very carefully to make sure that, you know, that it needs to be a book about them being <laughs> rageful and angry, but also have these cool character moments, but not have too many. But you can't that... fix their core issue. Exactly. Almost because if you fix their core issue, then they die. You know, right. that's the, that's the, and that's what they show with Ratchet. Ratchet does actually die at the end of this story because his, his ring comes off. He's actually able to get some happiness out of this experience especially having one last adventure with his comrades in the core, his friends in the core, you know, and, and liberating a planet from a dictator. It's, it, it is really cool because his character comes full circle and you really, even though he's just a brain with tentacles <laughs> floating around, I mean, you really kind of like feel emotions for him. So it's a credit to the writer that he's able to mm-hmm. pull that off, you know, with something that looks so alien but uh, I, I really thought that was a good story beat, but but you're right. It does kind of limit where they can go a little bit moving forward uh, because you can't fix them too much. <laughs> right. Just a little bit. Well, and right. and this sort of felt like tweaking them, like if we just tweak mm-hmm. them to where, you know, they don't have to be angry all the time, just a lot mm-hmm. of the time, then that gives you some wiggle room. But if you make it to where they're angry, like one page per issue, then you know, it, right. not only does it sort of undermine what their characters are about, but it also 
makes it harder to read a book that, you know, is supposed to be about the angry lanterns and they're really not angry any of the time. So I don't know if that led to the downfall of them not having a single or solo issue or if it was something else, but. I, I don't know. They did make it to issue 40, which it during the new 52 was a big accomplishment because most, most of the titles that started in the first wave in 2011 did not make it 40 months so they they would routinely cancel series and then replace them with something else one of the green lantern books got uh canceled at one point i think new guardians and i think even larfley's got his own book at that point so it was yeah yeah but they they like to keep kind of rotating stuff so they did have a very successful run of that era at dc which which is good to see because they're I, I hesitate to say fun characters, but but they're they're good characters. They're interesting, and and it's definitely something different from the normal DC superhero book. So. Yeah. So based on everything that we've talked about, and you know all the reading that you've done, but just specifically for Blood Brothers, right. what how many bananas would you give this story? So this this one's really hard for me. <laughs> they all are. <laughs> I I I've been sitting between like a 3.5 and a four and the there because there there are more negatives in this story than for instance last week although i i rated that a 4.5 so i guess a four would still be lower but it was just so satisfying for them to put guy gardner in a place where his character finally made sense it was satisfying to see him interact with the other members and even though ratchet dies at the end of this story it's almost it's 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 sad, but it's it's more of like a bittersweet than just purely sad because you're like, well, he did find what he was looking for out in the universe. So that that's kind of a nice way to wrap up his character arc. So, again, you know, we watched a lot of tracks as kids and as adults. Things that we look for a lot of times are seeing those character moments because that's a big focus on those shows. It was just really satisfying from that standpoint. So even though some of the art wasn't necessarily to my taste and there were a few questionable story decisions like that pacify beam and and some of the event stuff that they were forced to do with Atrocitus, I think I'm still going to give this, this is going to be like a low four for me, I think. So it's it's a four, though. All right. I was thinking more on the high end of a four and I, oh, really, okay. I really wanted to go with a 4.5 which is okay. I think the highest rating that I've given anything, but mm-hmm. I think I'm going to turn it down just a little bit and give it a 4.25. <laughs> okay. And the reason <laughs> is because like a lot of really a lot of what you said, but basically all the character moments and the development that we have, like I really enjoyed it. I thought the story while it did have some, you know, either negatives or, or questionable, like how did that work out? Overall, it was really good. It was gripping. It wasn't like the fate of the universe was at stake, but it was something that was very personal to our characters. And it was Mm -hmm. nice to have something that wasn't an intergalactic threat. Although if you read the Green Lantern annual number two and, you know, everything (laughs) surrounding that, there was an intergalactic threat that they were sort of pulled into, but that wasn't the whole point of Blood Brothers. That was more of just something that they had to get roped into. Yeah, I guess if I could interject for just a second, if anybody's going to read this trade, that annual is included in the trade. I don't know that it's super necessary, except that that is how the Red Lanterns get their own sector to police in the galaxy. So mm-hmm. that's really the main story point that happens in that annual. 
but otherwise yeah. you can kind of just skip through it and read the parts that involve the the red lantern core and then probably go on to the next issue yeah it's like smack dab right in the middle mm-hmm. so after you read the first like what three issues and then there's the mm-hmm. last three issues this is right in the middle so if you go right from the I forget which number it is now, but the, the third one to the fourth one, basically, right. you don't read the annual. It'll be a little jarring because something has happened that you'll be missing, but it's yeah. not that you'll be completely lost. It's just, you'll be like, well, I felt like I missed something, but okay, I know where we're at and we can keep right. going. So you don't have to read it necessarily, but it does fill in a couple blanks that happen in the middle. Yeah. So yeah, 4.25 bananas for me. It's kind of a weird decimal and awesome. I think still my highest rating, but I just, yeah, I, I really yeah. like the characters. I like the story and I wish there was more in 2022. I know this is definitely one of the, I, I hesitate to say hidden gems because it ran 40 issues, but in a way it kind of is. It's kind of like the other lantern book that was being published during the new 52 period uh, and a lot of DC fans don't look favorably upon that period in, in history. They didn't like a lot of the old continuity being wiped out, but I think if you're going to look at a book from that time, this is one of the best ones to pick. Yeah. I really enjoyed it, but you should let us know what you think in the comments on social media and all of those places. But until then, what are we going to review next time? So, First of all, thank you everyone for tuning in this time. Be sure to give us a like and subscribe on Spotify or Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. And when you tune in next time, we are going to be reviewing She-Hulk, Single Green Female by Dan Slott and Juan Bobillo. All right. So from one angry group to another angry Hulk. Well, Um, I think she keeps it under control a little bit better than these guys. Find out next time if she does. (laughs) Thank you so much for listening. If you want to stay up to date with episodes after shows and get access to some of the behind the scenes content, make sure to subscribe to our YouTube channel at tinyurl.com slash boneless comics podcast. Whoops. Sorry. That was boneless comics podcast. Thank you very much for listening. We'll catch you later. Catch you later. Rage out. Rage out.